We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And the Lakers had an interesting weekend. When do they not? On Friday night, they dropped a game against Memphis. Memphis bombed 23 threes from deep and won the game 127 to 113. And then on Sunday, right, a red-hot Clippers team comes in winning, I think, 14 of 16, and the two they lost were without Kawhi. Kawhi himself, Mike, you hit on this a few times during the broadcast, had been on fire. And as this happened a few times this season, their defense really carried them to a critical win, Mike. I thought that was a a crucial victory to kind of stop the bleeding against an opponent that was maybe a bit unexpected. So what was your perspective on this weekend, Mike? It was quite a roller coaster as it usually is. Yeah, very unexpected. Really, the whole weekend was. It's Usually, we have a pretty good feel about what's going to happen in a given night in the NBA, and, and especially as far as the Lakers go. And, you know, I thought they would have rallied and found a way to beat Memphis and then probably lost convincingly um, to the Clippers just based on how both teams were playing. And the Clippers have this basically ideal continuity right now um, for an NBA team. They've started the same exact group. They play the same groups. They close the same way for the most part. And... They, they've just been super cohesive, and then the Lakers have been anything but that with six starting lineups since they won the in-season tournament, and you know none of them being particularly uh, terrific. And then all of a sudden, the thing that has made the most difference to me this season when the Lakers play well and when they don't is LeBron doing more of the little things, uh, which isn't the right phrase for it, but just LeBron. like the, When I saw something on Twitter, and uh, forgive me for not being able to to check who did it. But when LeBron was defending Kawhi, because since you mentioned Kawhi, uh, Pete, I think he was something like 0 for 6. And he mm-hmm. was just, he was there and give And he's one of the few athletes in the NBA that can actually hang with Kawhi physically. Uh, and I think that might've just thrown Kawhi off rhythm. Some Kawhi was shooting 60% from the field this, uh, in December and it had 13 straight games over 50%. And what did he end up finishing like six for 17 or something like that? Mm-hmm. Six for 17. There we go. He was six for 17 and he was 0 for five 
on shots where LeBron was the primary defender and he had one assist and one turnover in approximately close to eight minutes of game time and about 35 possessions or so just looking at the different box score that you can bring up on the NBA.com page. So that's a good resource for fans if uh, they ever want to look that stuff up. Perfect. So all, all of the things that, so that, that I think that kickstarts the Lakers in a way where even if they're not getting the best shots, they're not the most organized offensively and they're, they're good enough to win games uh, when LeBron is doing those types of things. And I thought, so Anthony Davis wasn't going to get quite as much of a showcase because they were hard trapping him uh, for almost the entire game. And, and a lot of the, the better coaches in the league have been doing this. And, you know, AD's still, he made 10 of his 15 shots. Darius had sent a text at some point about AD's mid-range jumpers. And I looked at the shot chart and it's like, oh yeah, he's five for five um, on these shots that are the ones that are available um, based on the way that the Clippers are playing defense. And, you know, and then he was still anchoring the defense. He's switching out onto Paul George, uh, which is a very difficult task. He's switching out onto Kawhi a couple of times. He's switching out onto Norman Powell and then still recovering. And then I, Pete, the thing that I thought, was significant in terms of what about tonight is is something that they could use moving forward other than Russell coming back and is the playmaker and and other than LeBron and, and him stepping up in certain ways was the whole Christian Wood, Jared Vanderbilt, bigger thing that you've been talking about for so long. Uh, and so I wanted to kick that back to you because I thought that both of those players made impacts, um, significant ones, and that was without playing a ton of minutes. Christian Wood especially, I think, is vital in the Lakers' ability to switch. Uh, and one of the things that we had tried, and and Zoo had 10 offensive rebounds in that game, 19 overall. And that's one of the vulnerabilities that you have when you switch, is that when Anthony Davis is being great on James Harden or Paul George, and he had numerous possessions like that, well, what's happen- happening behind them? If they do chuck up that contested three and miss it. Is it Torian Prince trying to box out Ibiza Zubats? If it is, you have a problem and you need a second person there on that job. And Wood's ability to be a second, he's a really good defensive rebounder and his ability to clean those up, I thought was essential. There was also the play where we went up by 10 for the first time in that game in the fourth quarter was a great example of, if you want to talk about like, how can this apply going forward? It's like, how do you defend correctly when you're switching D? And so there's like 8.55 left in the fourth and Wood is switched out onto James Harden on the perimeter. That's a mismatch in favor of, of Harden, right? And so that's going to happen. If you're going to switch, you are, as we've talked about before, telling the other team, okay, you get to pick the matchup that you want. So that's either going to be a James Harden versus Christian Wood, or later it was Kawhi Leonard versus Austin Reeves. And as a defense, you have to have a plan to be able to be like, okay, we know these are the guys that are going to be targeted. And so this is our plan when they do get targeted. And so what happens a lot of times when a big gets switched out onto Harden is it's a big foot speed mismatch. And we've seen countless times where they'll they're worried about that, and so they're going to sag off a little bit, and James is going to hit a little jab step and then step back move and then hit a three, right? And so what the jab step does is it plays into that fear of, oh, I'm going to get beat off of the dribble, and so it gets the big man's weight going backward. That served the purpose of creating space for the step back. Easy money. But what, what Wood did on that was he pressed up on the step back on his left shoulder and said, I'm going to contest this. 
And that is the next thing that you can do. If you cannot guard a guy one-on-one, the next thing that you have control over is what direction, what way do you get beat? You can still dictate the terms of that. And so what Wood does on that is I'm going to contest against that step back. I'm going to concede this drive to the right, but I have Anthony Davis behind me. And so that to me is where a lot of the roads lead. And the really encouraging thing about yesterday's game to me, D, was how effective we were at switching, but also kind of getting beyond that first step of, okay, we're switching into the, all right, well, what is our plan when Austin gets targeted, when Wood gets targeted, and what is important for everybody else to be able to do? That was probably our best switching game, I thought. And so I was really encouraged by that. Yeah, I thought the guys, the most important thing about the switching is like, how hard do you battle when you get switched? And I thought for the most part, the guys battled appropriately. And look, like Kawhi hit a couple jumpers right over Austin. um, And it's just like, hey, that's Kawhi Leonard. But Austin fought him for a position. He -hmm. didn't just like concede. And when Kawhi is trying to bump him at the nail and take him down to the dotted line, Austin didn't let him. He fought him at the nail and he's just like, look, you're going to catch the ball at the nail and then you're going to have to do work from there. And Kawhi did that. And it's just, okay, that's Kawhi Leonard. He's going to do that against a lot of players, a lot of players stronger and bigger than than Austin Reeves as well. And so I was content with the Lakers individual defenders, like just sort of the metal that they showed in in standing up there. Um, One of the things that you were talking about with Harden, too, like what makes him such a challenge is that he uses all of those like between the leg dribbles and jab steps. Those are like rhythm setters for him as well. And so one of the things that Wood did in trying to like take that away a little bit and play high hands was it triggers the next thing in an ISO player's mind as of like, it's really the drive here, right? Right. And like, and so basketball is such a great sport and it's so high level in how like great players and James Harden is a great offensive player still like how great players run the sequence and process information like in their head and so Harden's like oh you're on me I'm grifting you right now and I'm gonna get this foul and he tried like, he went, on that play he absolutely tried to he went right into big guy crowding me. The next move in the sequence is, oh, I'm doing low gather. I'm going into your arms and I'm going to get this foul. And Wood is just like, nope. He like pulled the chair on him. And then Harden raised the ball up and turned into Cam Reddish for a second because the ball just sprayed <laughs> out. It went nowhere, right? And it's like, oh, what happened? The ball is some, somewhere else. And the Lakers went the other way. I wanted to zoom out, though, because you were asking Mike and you guys were talking about like big picture stuff and carrying stuff over. Actually, let's go to break here. And when we come back, I want to hit something about like the overall nature of the Lakers games right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Lakers lost a tough game to Memphis, and after the game, Mike LeBron is basically just like, we're not very good right now. He used more colorful language than that. The Lakers haven't been very good, but they haven't been very good in the fact that they've been losing games. They've been actually fairly competitive in a lot of these games, and then at some stretch, the game sort of goes haywire and the other team pulls away. I thought they competed hard against Boston, and they just lost. And then they beat Oklahoma City, and it's just like, oh, if they found their way... And then suddenly, like, that Miami game happens, and it's like, what the hell was that? But over the last several games, even if they've lost, it's just like, oh, they've competed well for stretches, and then suddenly we're all mad in the text thread because they look terrible for a stretch, and it's like, what the hell happened? And so, Pete, it's like this idea of finding that competitive streak over longer and being able to close out a game, I thought that's why this most recent win against the Clippers was pretty critical. There was a couple of different times where the Lakers could have folded and they did fold in their previous game against Memphis where the three started to fall and they hung their heads a little bit and it was like, this game is over and they showed more resolve against the Clippers than than that. And I thought that part was important as well. Forget the tactical stuff, just the we were able to turn it around and get the win. Am I misreading that too much? Because I thought it was key and it will be key moving forward. I think it's a huge part of what our season has been and it represents some of the places that we need to be able to progress is that I think we need to be able to win some of these games, Mike, with our offense rather than just a great defensive performance. And really, LeBron is the difference in a game like this to me where he's the guy who, when he is really locked in on defense, turns this team from a good into a great defense. But it's hard to do that for a full 82, as we talk about a lot. And in the process of that uh, of the Lakers losing these games, like I think D'Lo being out has been a way bigger thing than has been discussed. Are we're already at that Mendoza line of offense and passing and kind of in a rough spot that way anyway. He's a guy who really gets the team organized kind of independently of his shot. Now, that's the thing that can make us actually good uh, is we need him to be able to score. And that's the thing that gave us separation in the second half is when he did start hitting some shots and that kind of pushed us over the edge. But even beyond that, Mike, I thought that his absence along with Rui's absence on a team that already isn't that good on offense. I think the fact is that we need to have these great defensive performances to beat a team like the Clippers, especially at this point 
point of the season. Uh, but that is one of the places we need to be able to go is to be able to be better on offense, to be able to have some more games like the, the Memphis Grizzlies did against us, where you do hit a ton of threes and, you know, the other team may have two guys over 30 and whatever, but you still get the win because your offense was really good. And so I think there's conversations to be had on on how that looks, but I think that's really a, a big goal going forward is just the, the offense being able to get on track. There are so many of these topics that we could spend a whole podcast on. D'Angelo Russell is one of them. If you think about last year and the run that the Lakers had you know, to get to the postseason, you know, D'Lo averaged 20 points per game in March. He averaged uh, 18 in February. You get to the playoffs and he averaged 17 against Memphis and in the games that they won. So like game six, he hits five threes. That was kind of the thing that just carried them way over the top uh, in. He did not shoot as well in the two games that they lost. And then the other three games that they won, he had three threes, two threes, and three threes, respectively, um, just looking through the game log. And then he had some big games against Golden State. Uh, and it when it went away um, in Denver, that was it was like the Lakers just didn't have enough. And so it it isn't it doesn't even necessarily have to be D'Angelo Russell specifically, but somebody um, stepping into that not just third, but kind of third and fourth, because because in, in the Denver series, Austin was pretty consistently scoring um, as that third piece. And this kind of ties back to me to LeBron James in a way that it's so it's still so difficult to understand what he's doing in year 21 and how ridiculous that he's been and how nobody's ever done it. And yet just he and Anthony Davis, you know, because LeBron is in year 21, can't completely carry the whole thing against good NBA opponents every night in the regular season. And so this is when we talk about guys like D'Angelo Russell missing three games and Rui Hachimura being out for a while and Gabe Vincent not playing at all and Austin Reeves not being as consistent. Like all of those things become so important that it's hard to even get one part of the rotation wrong um, and, and still be sustainably good in the way, you know, that the teams at the top of the conference are. So to to kind of throw one other element into this as, as to where I think the Lakers kind of have to get to at some point, you know, Reddish has really been struggling uh, and he did hit a couple of threes that were big uh, in the second half. But other than that, you know, he had some unforced turnovers. He had five of them. He uh, he's not getting defended in the same way um, that, you know, he's getting defended more like a Jared Vanderbilt in some ways. Uh, and his defense has not been at quite at the same super high level with deflections and just the way that he's moving his body as it was earlier. So that to me is the spot in the lineup where, where if you get more Christian Wood, if you get more Vanderbilt and you know, that to me is where there could still be some upside with, with what they have in addition to what I was just discussing. Mike, when you said it doesn't have to be D'Angelo Russell, I agree within the context of like the scoring, like other players can score, although not a lot of other players have scored well this season. Russell needs to be available. It was sort of night and day, the level of passes that he was making within the context of the game, even if they didn't lead to assists. So Russell had six assists last night, and I think Austin had 12 or 13 against the Grizzlies. He had a really high number. I really do plan to write about Austin Reeves soon, not for Lakers.com, but probably for Silver Screen and Roll. Austin's been a really good passer for assists but he has not been as much of a passer as like a connective passer. And D'Lo has been a good passer for assists, but D'Lo also makes like the creative pass and the sort of like, I have just really good court vision and like test the boundaries of what pass is there. That is super important for a Lakers team that doesn't score the ball as well. So he had a couple of passes to Anthony Davis where it's just like, um, 
oh, that's a look where AD's catching the ball sort of in an awkward place, but in a position where after he catches the ball, because he's Anthony Davis, he can do something with it and get up a scoring chance. And Rondo used to do this for AD a lot in the title season, and and he did it a lot for him in New Orleans as well, where it's sort of that, that creativity, Pete, as a like, oh, I'm just going to sort of find you in weird places. And because you're so gifted offensively, you're going to get a shot up or score or draw a foul. And LeBron is the only other player on the team that passes like this. And in general, outside of LeBron and D'Lo, there's not really another high, high level passer. Austin's a very good passer. So like I hold him off to the side a little bit, but if you're talking about Austin, D'Lo and LeBron, who else on this team is actually a good passer besides those three guys? And I mentioned this within the context of getting Anthony Davis the ball because AD can't pass himself the ball. So I think AD is a good passer as well. Um, But it's like, it's one of the reasons why I thought Wood and Vando were sort of like, oh, look at you guys, because Wood makes good high-low passes, and Vando makes good interior passes off of cuts. And I was just like, oh, you guys are doing some things, but from the perimeter, that's it? It's just D'Lo and LeBron out there, like, making plays in in Austin some too. So, like, I thought D'Lo stood out to me in that regard, like, oh, they really missed this, and it was good to have him back in that regard. One of the main goals of any offense is to get penetration. And Dilo makes passes that penetrate a defense, right? It's not always just kind of swinging around the perimeter, but it is. Wood missed a, a layup or a dunk right at the front of the rim, but uh, on this early in the game, but it's the type where it's like, oh, this guy's head's turned. I'm going to whistle it right by his ear, Mike, and, and get an open look. And on a team that doesn't get downhill, those passes matter. Maybe it's because this is a Manchester United game day. I'm thinking about soccer, but they're what you guys are talking about is such a massively huge part of soccer where you can you have to have a player that can get the ball in a danger spot for the opponent like that not just the passing around the perimeter and like the center attacking mid type player that's the the whole if you don't have that player then you're not really going anywhere and unless sure you can try to kick the ball over the top to the striker which in this case would be anthony davis who just can't go back and get the ball themselves back to midfield Uh, and you have to have somebody who can put the defense in a a vulnerable position so i'm glad that darius kind of laid it out like that can I can I throw in one quick question to you, Pete? And maybe we should uh, we can do it after break. Um, but it's it's about Christian Wood, and uh, we'll hit it after we uh, get back here. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Pete, since I know you watch this, I don't, I don't have to kind of ask you first, but Christian Wood in his media um, afterwards, I, I asked him about the, these lineups and playing with LeBron and AD and kind of why it works. And I'm I'm curious what if you could just share and uh, in, in break down, not on both sides of the ball. Offense, it's a little bit more obvious, but like there's this thought that, oh, if Christian Wood's out there, LeBron has to be the three, and then the Lakers are going to be vulnerable some in the perimeter. And that's uh-huh. that's not what's been happening for a couple of reasons that Wood laid out, but I thought you could explain that. 
So yeah, that trio, the LeBron, AD, and Wood trio has been, I think they've played about 100 minutes now, and it's well over plus 20 net rating on the season. They've been very good. And he gave a great answer to your question, at, where at the end he was like, well, I'm not going to give you the whole the whole playbook on offense, but he got about 70% of the way through it. And when, what he was talking about on the defensive end is that they switch everything, right? And so that concern about being the three is, this is what, what I think the fundamental concern a lot of our our coaching staff has in terms of with playing bigger is the foot speed issue of there are going to be times, especially in their base defense and the base drop coverage, where the three has to help in the paint, but then scurry out and onto the perimeter. And if that's Rui Hachimura or Christian Wood or LeBron James in that position, they just aren't as fast as a Torian Prince, a Cam Reddish, a Jared Vanderbilt type of guy. And so they don't, they don't get there quite as fast enough and you give up some open threes as a result. But switching you don't get to that part if you're in switching or if if you're switching, it doesn't quite work the same way where you're trying to not allow the dribble penetration. We were talking about this recently, D where we were like, Hey, we've got Vando and cam. Remember that one game where we had Vando and cam in the starting lineup, but we're in a, we're switching everything or we're playing zone type of defense. It's like you got the attack dogs on a leash. Those are your guys that do that. But if you have a foot speed problem, You have to be less aggressive defensively, which is more of a containment, keep the ball in front of you type of thing. And so the ability to do that with those three guys and be able to rebound behind them, I think is super critical on the defensive end. And then on offense, like I think Wood enjoys a lot of the same things that we talked about with Rui, where you kind of run out of front court guys to guard players and his dive cuts and his ability to space the floor. He's shooting the three ball a lot better than he was earlier in the year. Like his ability to score off of the things that they do with that high low passing. Uh, Vando plays into this too. I, I'll kick that to you on like kind of the usage of Vando. We've been using him as a screener a little bit more. But, uh, but yeah, I think that those lineups, like, I'm curious where our starting group ends up landing because we haven't had a lot of two big groups that have that have worked. Uh, I'm sorry, we haven't had a lot of two big groups that have played a ton, and the Wood AD pairing hasn't been that great. But if you have LeBron in the game when Wood is in the game, he's really productive. And so I'm curious your thoughts on Wood and kind of how he fits into this uh, going forward. So just the numbers here, Pete. Um, LeBron and Wood on the court, AD off. Okay, so 210 minutes um, plus 11.5 net rating, defensive rating of 106.6. That's great. LeBron, AD, and Wood all on the court together, 94 minutes, 27.6 net rating, off defensive rating of 100.5. So when you talk about like the defensive stuff, the defensive stuff is there when you have Wood and LeBron on the court in general. And normally when it's LeBron and Wood on the court together, the other front court spot normally isn't a small guy. So it's like it's Vando or it's Rui. And so there's usually more size on the court um, just because that's how the rotation has shaken out, particularly without another ball like without that third ball handler available it's been like oh it's it's lebron and austin and so they need the ball handling and so they skew bigger with like the forwards there's let me throw one element into this because that is a really it's an excellent plus minus usually that is like the start of the second or the fourth quarter 
against second units. And I, I think it's just important sometimes to contextualize this because those it doesn't always translate if you play that lineup against a starting opponent uh, who has a more size and just be their better players. So can you can you layer that in as to this whole question about how much more and when, you know, can the Lakers use these types of lineups as they go forward? So I agree that that is a part of the game that has worked. But famously, earlier in the season, the Lakers closed with Wood a fair number of times. And a key part of these plus minus numbers is still like the butt kicking they gave the Suns, where it was like where Wood was in the game to close the game. And that size, that size is going to work against a lot of teams, Mike. And earlier during the season, they were playing more drop cove coverages, Pete, and they weren't switching as much, but they can switch. Like, Wood, AD, and LeBron are also similarly sized, and they can do similar things in the front court in terms of hitting the glass defensively, that they protect each other in a very interesting way defensively, and I think that that's why it works. I think so as well, and I think that especially against teams that can't exploit our foot speed. I think the fact that we're 5-0 and against the Clippers and Suns, I don't think is a coincidence. They've, But guys like Ja, Tyrese Maxey, De'Aaron Fox, we're 0-4 when those dudes play uh, off the top yeah. of my head. And so that is the concern about having a trio like that, or even AD and Wood out on the floor at the same time. That is how Wood's going to be attacked. But one of the things I was trying to express earlier about when he plays alongside AD and he can press up on Harden on that one type of play, you know you're going to get beat, but it's got to be you have an answer behind him that can and and the ability to rotate on the back end uh, if with with Anthony Davis in particular that can help mitigate that. And so and then then the ability to clean up the defensive glass I think is just so huge within this. And so especially if if a team doesn't have that foot speed, Mike, I think that that that's something that uh, that we can really go to with Wood. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. And the look, the other part that's significant is that Christian Wood's three point stroke um, has returned. Even though he has not been able to get many up just because of the limited shots and limited playing time, like he's starting to hit them. And if I think that if his minutes continue to get at least somewhat consistent. It's been closer to 15, but let's say you get him, you know, maybe a little bit towards 20 and he starts getting three or four threes every night. Uh, that rhythm is only going to be stronger. Uh, and then the next element to that then is Vanderbilt. And, you know, when is the best time for him to play? And I think it's going to take him longer to start feeling even any sort of rhythm with the shooting, but they don't really need him taking a lot of shots because he's, he's such a quick kind of dis he's gonna he's gonna get the ball and move it on quickly and sometimes even turn it over but alas i wanted to use that as a as a way to get into this vanderbilt phase here pete i'm actually very excited to talk about vando because we've started to use him a little bit differently he was more of a screen and roll type of guy in this last game and that is a typical solve d for non-shooters rather than oh let's just have cam or vando stand in the corner is have them as a screen setter and vando can pass a little bit and so in those short roll top of type of opportunities. He knows how to play this position. LeBron had a great quote toward the end of last year about how Vando knows how to kind of play this spot that seeing him more involved in the screen and roll game, in the short rolls, uh, in handoffs, things like that, it's a way to mitigate some of his offensive issues uh, as, a, as a spacer and not just play into that for the defense to be like, okay, we're just going to put Porzingis or Jaron Jackson Jr. or whomever on Vando whenever he's out on the court. It kind of, I'm seeing us, us take steps in the right direction uh, to get him more involved. Is that kind of Draymond Light, Darius? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. What I will say about Vando is 
he is, you could tell that he's grown up playing with the ball in his hands a fair amount. So he's a grab and go player. Um, He has pretty good feel and pushes the envelope as a passer. He does overpass at times. And I thought against the Clippers, he had the right mix of shooting and passing. Like he had that sort of like heave on like a little floater, like in the lane and Stu commented during the game, or it might've been Billy Mack that he's just sort of flung it up there and, that's sort of how it looks. Vando's not the most polished offensive finisher. And, and there are times where he gets inside and he's got some Rondo tendencies to him where it's just like, no, I'm passing here because I'm a pass, 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 shoot player. Like that's the processing in his head. Getting him in short roll and getting him reps there, I think is important though, Pete, because the more reps he gets there, the more he will get comfortable sort of like spraying the ball out, but then also reading when the pass isn't appropriate and when it is more appropriate to shoot the ball down there. And right now, it's almost all pass, pass, pass. The thing I like about Vando as well is his his cutting. He has a great feel for cutting in terms of because he's a not respected shooter, his man watches the ball a ton. Yeah. And so he knows like, oh, my guy turned his head. I am darting in there. And then when his guy sort of recovers back, he he's like, okay, like he faints it and then he steps back and then he lurks for a little bit. There was a play in, I think it was the fourth quarter, Pete, but LeBron had the ball on the left block and he was trying to go to work and Vando was in the game. Weak side, I think he was at the shoulder area, so almost above the break. Vando cut and it wasn't there. And he lingered around the paint and he did what guys on defense do in terms of three seconds where he like stepped out of the paint for like literally just a beat, lifted his just foot up tap. and then went right yep. and went right back in into the paint. And he didn't cut again, but what he started to do was seal backside. And so LeBron went baseline a little bit and threw up a little lefty hook that like airballed. But Vando was right there for the offensive rebound and he got a tip in. And it's little things like that in terms of an off-ball worker where Vando is miles ahead of Cam because Cam has been such an on-ball worker for his entire career that you can see some of the off-ball stuff isn't there with Cam yet. During the Memphis game, there was a possession where LeBron called Cam up to do a screen and roll and Cam went into the short roll and LeBron lofted a pass over the top and Cam just stopped and it turned into a turnover. I'm sure, Pete, you were watching the Spectrum feed, but I was watching the ESPN feed. Thanks, Darius. Doc Rivers was like, oh, that's a turnover on LeBron, but that's on Cam. And it's like, because he's like, you can't fake a roll, basically. Like, if you start to roll, you got to commit to that. And LeBron's throwing the ball where he thinks his man is going to be and where the open spot on the court is, but Cam just stopped right there. And so Vando has much more comfort operating in those sorts sorts of spaces. And I'll be interested to see if these sorts of minutes with Vando and Wood getting more of these reps on the second unit sort of propel them to getting second shifts in a half because right now they've been one shift a half players. Um, I think Wood got a second shift in the second half this game, but it's like 
Sooner or later, these tides are going to turn, I think, or maybe I'm just projecting because I hope that that's the case. Being intentional on offense with Vando and Cam, I think, is really important to being able to get to where we want to go. And that's something that your framing of Vando as being an off-ball worker who knows how to do those things and Cam not really having those reps, I think is really important. We've started offensively fairly poorly in large part because teams are putting Jackson on Cam. They're putting Porzingis on Cam and it just gunks up everything else in a lot of ways. And so that like Cam's minutes are are the one thing, Mike, that I'm curious when Rui comes back, but it's a different job, right? He does a different thing than Rui does. But that to me is sticking out like a sore thumb in terms of even like Earlier in the year, I thought he clearly had outplayed Max. Max has really come on strong over the last month or so and certainly makes his mistakes, but he was a plus 10 last night. And he, Max is a much more organized player. And that's something that has been a word I've used a lot with respect to our offense in that there's a level of predictability and and just sort of conventionality to how he plays that he's also a solid defender. He's not as good as Cam is, but he's, you know, I, I don't know. I'm curious how the rotation works out uh, going going in that direction. But if he's going to be on the court, D, Cam, that is, you got to be really intentional with him. Pete, you said that he's not as good a defender as Cam. I would argue that he's less dynamic as Cam, but he's much more stable than Cam. Good point. And so I just wanted to sort of frame that to you, Mike, as to like, there is an unpredictability to Cam and sometimes that's super valuable, but sometimes it's definitely not. And that steadiness that a player like, um, Max is providing, or or even Vando to a certain extent, there's a steadiness that Vando provides defensively as well, where he is more fundamentally sound. He is more in position. Like he draws more offensive fouls because guys push off of him because he's bigger and stronger. He draws illegal screens. There's a predictability that Vando and Max are bringing defensively that um, Cam's chaos has not the like the chaos creation that Cam has had defensively hasn't quite been there since that run that he had in November. I I feel like we're going hard against Cam right now, but it's more to me to highlight what the other players are doing well. Um, and in that competition for minutes, I'm wondering how that's going to shake out in the long term. Yeah, I also think Reddish has been banged up. You know, he's been missing games uh, with the, the sore groin. And that is something that absolutely, if you've ever had a sore groin and you're trying to cut, do the things that Cam is so elite at, which is like turn around super quick and try to uh, disrupt an inbounds pass or come around a screen or like any of these things that, that requires that particular part of the, the body. So he's playing 24 minutes per game uh, or something along those lines. I was looking last year, Vanderbilt averaged 24 minutes per game last year. And this year, of course, he was injured, and but has been kind of being ramped up and he's not he's just not getting that same level of minutes. And I think that he's looked much better physically in these last couple of games than he did, where he was clearly still hampered uh, by the heel when he first came back. And OK, yeah. So I'm looking at the minutes now. Yeah. Reddish is at 24.5. Vanderbilt 17.8. You know, Max 17.7. I, I just think that there there's a certain level of. What you did last year that matters uh, in the NBA, as long as it's towards a certain goal. And that's where, you know, Reddish has been sort of the almost the incumbent this season, you know, without having shown enough maybe to be to be guaranteed that level um, of role and that level of minutes. And and that that's why I brought it up earlier in the show. It's just that's the next natural place uh, where where there's been a hole um, in terms of the production. However, 
the Lakers have, I mentioned earlier, they've had six different starting lineups, right, since uh, in the last like couple of weeks. And so now to just throw another one in there, uh, it, it, when, you just, when you're just getting Russell back and you're just getting Hachimura back, I get the hesitancy um, in, to just switch anything up just so you can find, even if the lineups aren't working, some level of cohesion. But ultimately, I do think that that's going to be where they're going to need to land. Uh, and they've gotten some part of it back. Okay, Reeves is back in the starting lineup. But I, I just – maybe I'm just being consistent with my own thoughts. But in the offseason, I thought that there's something about Vanderbilt's game that that fits with the way – when the way game starts um, and with who he can defend and the role that he can play as a, as somebody that just doesn't need the ball and can do all the things Darius was discussing on offense. And then you can bring in, you know, the Hachimuras uh, and in this case, the Russells and maybe even Radish in that context uh, off of the bench. So we'll see if they get there, but that's to me where things are lining up, at least in terms of who is playing well with whom. Well, got a much needed win against the Clippers, got Toronto tomorrow. We will be back actually tomorrow, but until then, you've been listening to Laker Film Room Podcast. We'll catch you guys next time. James has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team. Just pass out of front, broken up by Worthy. Tip to Magic. Worthy dies on his belly. Magic scores. There's Magic got it. Magic fires. It's good. The Lakers win the game. The Lakers win the game. Three seconds left. That next to the winner. It's on the way. Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. With his eighth block. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two. Listen. seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic trying to disrupt Rondo. He puts it in. Here's Davis. 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble. And banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.